Hi, I'm Phil Paluccia from Billionaires in Boxers, and you are about to enjoy an interview hosted by one of our guest hosts, Andrew Talent. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Confessions of a Successful Leader, hosted by me, Andrew Talent, the self-coaching expert. In each episode of the show, we hear the insightful confessions of a successful leader who wants to inspire others to live their professional and personal dreams. I am always keen to hear your feedback, particularly in relation to the kinds of leaders you would like me to invite onto the show in future. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the rich insights from our special guest. Hello and welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Successful Leader, hosted by me, Andrew Talents, the self-coaching expert. Each episode of this show, we actually hear insightful confessions of a successful leader who wants to inspire others to live their professional and personal dreams. This week, I'm delighted that Giulio Leucci has joined us in the studio. Giulio has two decades of experience spanning infrastructure development and portfolio management and acquisition for public and private infrastructure in North America and Europe. An executive and industry expert, he is an internationally recognized figure in infrastructure executive management and advisory. Currently, he's a senior executive in private equity funds. He leads origination, execution, and asset management of infrastructure assets on the international markets. His clients rely on his comprehensive knowledge and deep experience of the infrastructure sector, including executive management, risk analysis, organizational design, change management, financing and refinancing, commercial development, CapEx, OpEx management, and all-round value creation. During his career, Julio has acquired and developed large airport, rail, toll road, and energy assets. And as a CEO and asset manager, he has also driven commercial strategies that generated high ROI processor engineering programs that generated up to 20% better service levels, higher productivity, and lower operating costs while enhancing the reputation, quality, and value proposition of the companies. He's also led turnaround strategies for infrastructure companies and negotiated complex legal governance, commercial, and financial matters throughout his career. Educated in the UK, Switzerland, and Italy, Julio holds an MBA degree, an MA in architecture, as well as a diploma of non-executive director. Julio, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Look forward to our discussion today. Excellent. It was lovely to have you, and thank you for sparing the time. So could you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and uh, what your current focus is? Sure. And so uh, I've been uh, in infrastructure and uh, investment uh, um, in private equity for the past uh, 13 years, uh, having started my career in um, um, design and construction of um, large infrastructure um, in North America. Um, I, at the moment, I focus on the transportation and energy sector uh, with a strong focus on energy transition, investing and um, acquiring and developing a new initiative uh, in terms of uh, infrastructure, um, private equity and energy sector. Excellent. So what about in terms of outside of business? Just tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of what you get up to when you're not working. Well, I, I'm an avid climber and a skier. I like to climb mountains and ski mountains, uphill and downhill. Uh, I enjoy a lot traveling uh, for business or for pleasure. 
and um, I like cooking as well. I cook a lot. What's your uh, signature dish, Julia? What's your, what do you like cooking? Oh, so many, but uh, I quite enjoy preparing risottos. I, I'm risotto as well. I'm risotto. Now, do you tend and stir it, or do you actually just throw it all in and leave it? No, you need to attend the risotto. It takes time. Love and <laughs> attention. Very Absolutely. Delicate <laughs> matter. And, you know, if you do it properly, um, there are some tricks you need to use to. <laughs> Absolutely. It's my signature dish too. It's the only thing I can really cook very well, but uh, so so we have that in common. Lovely. Excellent. So what obviously the audience is really here to learn as well is about what makes up a successful leader and what challenges we go through life. So I just really to understand as much as you want to share really what kind of childhood experiences that you had shaped your early leadership style. Um, so I grew up in uh, the south of Italy in um, uh, a region called Puglia. It's really at the bottom of the Italian peninsula. And um, it's a small town of 2,500 people. And um, I grew up in a family where my father um, was working in uh, commercial banking. My mother was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, but um, um, down there, the, the culture is pretty risk-adverse, I would say. And um, uh, my father was especially risk adverse. <laughs> he was very uh, conservative in many ways with the risk management. And so you can imagine my um, childhood was based around those values. And then uh, after graduating from school, I moved to New York City, which is not a city for risk adverse people. And neither is a move to New York City a risk adverse decision. Um, and so when I arrived there, I started changing. Um, this is post-university. I started thinking more about uh, um, expanding my um, risk tolerance. Um, and I didn't complete the journey uh, immediately because um, I was working uh, in um, construction management and uh, planning, so I didn't have a proper leadership role in early years when I was in New York City. But as I transitioned to a more um, executive role, um, I felt that I was held back by my um, background, by my cultural background. I could almost feel it that uh, I need to think differently in terms of risk management. And um, the two things are not connected, but I started climbing in 2006. And uh, climbing is all about uh, um, expanding your risk tolerance uh, and managing risk. And um, as I said, the, the two things were not connected, but climbing helped me a lot, actually. It helped me understand the risk better. It helped me tolerate the risk better. And... Uh, uh, at that point, I started changing also in the way I approached business and I approached um, um, leadership management. Uh, and uh, in a way, I think uh, that's the most interesting part of my transformation. Sure. Well, tell us a little bit more about that. And particularly, you mentioned about the, the risk appetite and how were you finding, as you were finding your way in New York in particular, where there was this very different environment and you were having to build relationships, um, what comes to mind in terms of how you know, that changing leadership style either improved your relationships or, or affected them? What did you notice about them? Well, I certainly became more effective in managing relationships because climbing is also entrusting other people. 
when you like, as a matter of fact. And um, it helped me also create a stronger bonds with people I enjoyed working with. Uh, but especially allowed me to um, be more assertive with the people and uh, making sure they understood what I meant to uh, tell them and what I meant to um, accomplish with the team. Uh, by then, I was managing a small team of people. And um, uh, it, the other thing is uh, that uh, um, I felt uh, um, quite strongly that I wanted to be a collaborative leader by that time. Uh, for me, it wasn't about uh, myself uh, uh, achieving a goal. It was about the team achieving something, simply because I'm a very gregarious person, and that comes also from my childhood among the kids in my family, I was the one who enjoyed the most, uh, the social life. And so I transferred that into, even today, into my management style. I'm very social with the people I work with, uh, in a way it's part of being Italian, I guess. Um, but uh, the combination of um, higher risk uh, um, uh, assumption or a broader risk boundary, the together with the the fact that um, I was uh, appreciating um, uh, a stronger hold of my emotions because uh, of the climbing activity, and then uh, this uh, consciousness of the um, leadership as a um, uh, community leader, as an organization that needs to succeed, I think uh, be, at that point uh, uh, began really to change the way I was doing things and uh, making me the leader I'm today. Excellent. And um, what I'm also curious about, we all have these moments in, in our lives and sometimes we do get in our own way because of the things that come from our early experiences. But is there, is there one point you can identify at some point during the journey where you noticed that the way you were behaving was causing you to actually not lead effectively at all and you really had to do something about it? Can you remember a point like that? Um, it was more later on when I had made a full transition toward private equity and, um, and toward, um, executive management on a, in broader roles. Um, I think it was in 2017 when I was, uh, um, working with partners group and I was a senior advisor with them and I was, a uh, um, involved with uh, several transactions and um, um, advising them on transactions. And uh, you probably know that when you work in um, uh, private equity, there is a lot of, um, I would say, alpha culture. So when you're uh, uh, in front of people, they demand a lot of you. And uh, I thought that I was um, holding back simply because um, I needed to adapt to a new culture and um, what was holding me back was the fact that I couldn't understand the culture necessarily. But then I reapplied the framework that I had discovered before of a risk management and um, uh, proactive management. And uh, slowly, um, but um, I would say very effectively, I integrated well with a group of people. 
Sure. And what I'm hearing there, and it may be that it, this isn't the, the right thing, but what I tend to find with a lot of leaders that I work with and have come across is that if they can create space and time to actually work out why things aren't working, they can then bring these strategies you described yeah. into those relationships. But a lot of the time, they're not afforded that kind of space. And they go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting and don't really have a chance to really reflect on what's going on. Um, what, what did you do to, to make sure that you had that kind of space and time to, to work out what to do in those kind of situations? It's good that you touched on this point, which, uh, which should have been my um, starting point, because uh, obviously, if you don't know yourself, you are not able to change yourself. Uh, for me, Knowing myself was about, um, or the the moment where I uh, had the chance to understand more about myself uh, was uh, in the downtime when I was by myself. I run, I do a lot of sport, so that's time. That's the time when I reflect on how things are going for myself. And um, back then, when I lived in New York City, I used to go running in Central Park. That's a 6.2 mile loop there. And it takes uh, about an hour to run it uh, at a nice pace or 50 minutes. So that's a 50 minutes block where you think about stuff. And for me, that was the thinking uh, um, time. You know, I would go running and I purposely put myself thinking about what was going on with me. Uh, I still do that. Uh, when I go running or when I go for a walk, uh, I take the time to kind of reassess how things have gone during the day and uh, see if I could have made something better um, in a conversation with a client or in a negotiation I'm running. And um, I take a lot of notes as well uh, about uh, how I deal with situations because a lot that allows me to go back in time and kind of double check if uh, progress has been achieved or um, has been made or if I did something very good in a special situation that I could apply to the new situation. I do this especially when I um, am in the middle of a negotiation on a deal. I kind of write the script of that deal. And uh, even if I'm not working on a new deal, sometimes I just sit in my office and just go back to the, it's not a diary, it's an agenda really. And I look at what happened two years ago gives me also a bit of pleasure to reread what I did two years ago, but ultimately it helps me figure out the next move. Sure. Thank you for that. And again, many people listening to this and, and watching this will relate to the fact that there's these negative forces that are at play in terms of, again, our psychology and um, Shirzad Shamin refers to them as saboteurs, where our superpowers of really achieving things or being able to manage lots of things at the same time are really, really beneficial when we're feeling positive. But when we're feeling negative about ourselves, so frustrated, resentment is in our relationships, maybe sometimes anger, you know, sometimes that doesn't help us as much. What have you become aware of in terms of your superpowers and your strengths that when there may be become negatives for you? When do they become apparent for you? Um, well, in a situation of stress, I think um, it, uh, um, it becomes clear to me that uh, I lose control over the good habits. Yeah. And um, sometimes I need to fight really hard to keep myself uh, on track and on top of things. And I learned something over the years that um, uh, 
it's probably not interact with the situation and things when you're extremely upset it's better to take a break i now when i'm extremely upset about something uh, step away from the situation don't confront the situation and uh, re-enter uh, the um, situation when i'm calmer and it's difficult to do it because if you're in the middle of the negotiation uh, um, sometimes you cannot get up uh, and walk out of the room but uh, i tend to do that i say can we take a break and uh, i'll go get a coffee or I'll go get a glass of water um i believe a, a good strategy is to regroup and reassess when you're too stressed and you are incapable of using all your tools and stress and anger are like um um a screen in front of your eyes don't make you see what's happening and also they don't allow you to access your uh, strength and your um, best tools so you need to remove the screen that's why you step away absolutely uh, our audience again might have heard of the term flow um we're so present in what we're doing that we're not even thinking about it or worrying about it or even necessarily anticipating what's going to happen next. We just flow and we be in that situation. Can you maybe tell the audience when you've been most present in terms of your, your work um, or personal life and it's just you know flown for you, it's just happened for you in that moment, just being? Well, it's uh, uh, the result of a number of factors. So when you're doing something extremely enjoyable um, that you feel uh, f- completely fulfilled uh, that creates a special flow and that can be um, when I go climbing or when I'm doing uh, something I really like to do in, uh, in terms of work um, like for example in the past uh, couple of weeks uh, I've been uh, uh, very busy on a transaction on, um, on an asset that I really like dealing with people I really enjoy dealing with and uh, when I was in the room negotiating uh, uh, with the counterpart, um, I didn't feel stressed at all. There was like a, a natural flow of things because everything was in the right place. Um, I was enjoying myself. There were no particular problems. It certainly was not a relaxed situation because when you negotiate, there is always tension. But in that situation, I was uh, with myself. So I was uh, exactly where I wanted to be. I didn't feel stressed at all. I could manage a risk around myself. And um, that comes with senior leadership too, because not everybody is capable in a stressful negotiation to remain calm. But I think uh, it's very important for new leaders to understand this, that you need to, um, even in a stressful situation, you need to slow down and um, almost... Um, create a core of resistance around yourself that uh, allows you to think better and that creates flow because when you're calm you're you feel safe you feel in control that's flow it's really interesting how you describe that and i'm wondering again how many people listening and, and watching this have really experienced that because it does you say take that inner strength really to trust the fact that you're already enough in terms of the resources that you have to just be in that moment. And it's very difficult to do that, isn't it? Until you get a little bit more mature in your leadership style. Exactly. And that comes with experience and knowledge of your sector. 
because obviously if you are if you feel inadequate that you don't understand the the matter and you're discussing you don't understand the um, situation you're in it's difficult to find that flow um, it's when you are fully in control or uh, you feel fully in control of what's surrounding you that the flow works best sure i've got um a 29 year old daughter who's just had a daughter herself so i'm now a grandfather age 54 and uh feeling very old with that but um that generation has a lot to teach in the sense some different to, to the way that we grew in our terms of leadership. What is it you've learned from the younger leaders that you've come across over the last few years that we can maybe learn from in terms of some lessons for us? Uh, well, I work with uh, often with people younger than me because um, in private equity, you often have um, younger people who have a lot of responsibility. And um, I think what I see in younger people, um, 20, 15 years younger than me, or even uh, more, I see um, an element of curiosity that um, probably it's stronger than it was, it was in me. I had um, curiosity, I would say, and focused too. I was less focused. Um, I had... Um, more leakage points in my attention span. Let's put it in this way. I see some of this newer generation, uh, um, I'm not talking, my son is 15, I'm probably the 30 year old and uh, the um, 35 year old. They are more focused, they're more, uh, they have a more um, laser um, uh, capability to kind of pinpoint the problem. Yeah, I found that as well. And there's lots for us. There's a lot of reverse mentoring going on in organizations now where more mature leaders are actually being reverse mentored by younger leaders who bring that curiosity and that focus that sometimes you know we didn't have. Uh, thank you. And what I'm loving about this um, uh, session we've got today is all of these Italians I've met in the past who are fiery and uh, unpredictable and uh, you know walk out of meetings uh, just because the phone rings. Uh, I'm not experiencing any of that today. So obviously they, you've worked on that quite hard. Well, uh, on that, uh, I, the large part of my career has been uh, in North America. I worked and lived there for 12 years. I've been in UK for 10 years now. I consider myself uh, from um, a leadership uh, perspective and um, um, work uh, ethics more, uh, um, I would say, North American or Anglo-Saxon. Um, most of my career has been with uh, either British or North American companies. Um, so I never had those habits. I went from university directly into a work environment in New York City and then uh, from there uh, um, to London uh, and uh, briefly in Italy. But uh, um, most of my career, as I said, has been uh, not in Italy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I've loved hearing from you in terms of the experience you've had. So if you could uh, really encapsulate all that experience and maybe give some advice to leaders out there who can relate to your story, you know, they're from a background where their parents obviously instilled in them some kind of ethic, doesn't matter what that was. They moved to a completely different culture. They had to adapt and then adapt over the years. So people can relate to your story. So what is it that you can maybe give to advice to those people in terms of channeling those early experiences in terms of the sustainable leadership that you've managed to do? 
um, I would say one important point I would like to make is that as a leader, you need to understand other people's motivations and understand what they want, what they are seeking into a specific situation. I've seen that happening multiple times. When I was chief executive at Belly Bishop Airport, I was dealing with three investors, um, JP Morgan Partners Group and Instar. They all had more or less different agendas. And uh, I was there as a chief executive uh, to harmonize those agenda. But for do, in order to do that, I need to understand uh, what their motivation was. I knew better the partners group because I worked for them, um, but uh, I didn't know that well the other two when I started. Equally, um, there were a lot of stakeholders who were um, acting uh, in uh, different ways and uh, you all had, uh, and you had to basically deal with all of them. So you had to understand where they were coming from. Um, that applies equally to the work I've done um, as a board director in numerous companies. You need to really understand uh, um, the group of stakeholders uh, who is coming uh, um, to you as a non-exec to ask you to interact with management and understand what you can do for them based on their needs. And so um, it's very important for a leader to empathically um, immerse itself in the group of people he's working with and understand the motivation because uh, that allows you then to propose solutions which are um, agreeable and they are, um, I would say, um, useful to everyone. And it's interesting here you speak about that. Again, in my experience, there are many leaders who try to do what you've talked about there, but they listen with the intention to be able to come back with the next smart question or response, as opposed to listening to understand, which is what you're talking about. It's really, and there's a very different style to that. It feels different, doesn't it, when somebody's listening to you in that way, listen to you in that way. It's a completely different type of listening. It's a completely different type of um, addressing somebody's need. I think um, um, uh, we all know that it's very difficult to change uh, uh, organizations and the culture in organization. Um, it's almost impossible many times, especially with a very established uh, organization and with a large workforce. But uh, if there is... A, one way to influence their organization is uh, um, through really listening to the, what the organization says um, and try to work uh, together with them and around them in order to um, accommodate some of their needs while changing some of the behavior. And uh, that applies to negotiation with stakeholders uh, uh, at a broader level. Uh, by confronting them and just um, producing one solution that it's your solution, not their solution, most likely you're going to face a strong opposition. So I'll give you an example. When uh, uh, we work on a regulated asset, uh, um, most of the time you need to um, engage and interact with a number of uh, institutions and non-institutional stakeholders. It could be a regulator, it could be communities. Um, you see often uh, um, what happens in um, utility uh, sectors in the uh, UK, for example, the water sector, which has been uh, not very successful for investors. I think some mistakes were made there about uh, the way they approached uh, the stakeholder community. And instead of um, 
finding a solution that was beneficial to a larger group of people, they propose a solution that was beneficial to a very small group of people. And uh, that is detrimental to the long-term success of the investment in the company. Um, it's important to include the, uh, the vast majority of stakeholders in a process uh, and uh, um, actively listen to what they would like or they would, what they would like to um, uh, what they would like you to do for them and try to mediate. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to do everything they want, but at least you can build a solution that is more complex and more uh, understandable for them and, and yourself. You're obviously in a place now, Julio, where you're more accepting of who you are. And obviously there's relating that back to your roots and, as you say, that ability to be present and be in flow. So with that, you've got great power in terms of how you can contribute to the world. So I'd be really interesting in terms of from now on, um, you know, who are you going to be in service of uh, in the future? Um, what's important to you? What, what do you think you're going to be doing in the, in the years you have left in terms of your professional career? Uh, at the moment, uh, I'm um, running my own um, M&A advisory and management consulting group, which is a Hermes in Holdings, and with that, I advise clients for acquisition in the um, yeah, acquisition and asset management in the energy sector and the transportation sector. Uh, I'm also advising uh, specifically one fund, Stompic, for um, uh, energy investments, and then. Uh, I'm in the process of um, launching a new energy initiative together with another partner, uh, which is um, uh, the creation of a platform in Southern Europe for the um, for uh, energy services with the purpose of uh, decarbonization of the commercial industrial sector. And uh, this is uh, taking most of my time at the moment uh, because uh, it's about creating um, a new reality which addresses the needs of uh, industrial and commercial clients in Southern Europe, similarly to what um, other companies have done already in the Nordics. Uh, and so it's about uh, replicating a model that exists uh, somewhere else, uh, but it doesn't exist yet uh, in the Southern Europe, uh, where uh, um, clients uh, in the commercial industrial um, areas are under pressure from regulators and governments to do something about uh, decarbonization and um, energy use, but they don't have the tools, the leadership, or the, um, uh, the funding for doing that. And so this new venture with this platform will provide all of that. Excellent. Sounds really exciting and something really valuable as well and something you're passionate about. So if anybody out there in the audience wants to either collaborate or work with you in some way, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Well, they can reach uh, to me on LinkedIn. I have uh, uh, my LinkedIn profile um, and uh, as well uh, through Hermes. They, on our website, there is a contact email and uh, phone number where they can reach me. Super. Well, Julie, I really appreciate um, you sharing your experiences with our audience today. Um, I know that many of them will have you know, been really inspired to reflect on their own leadership style, how they might take a different approach to leading themselves and, and others in the future as well. Um, I hope everyone out there enjoyed this episode of uh, Confessions of a Successful Leader. You can find out more information about conscious leadership and self-coaching just by typing in Andrew Talents into LinkedIn or Google. I usually come up when you do that. And until next time, don't forget, stay present, curious, and above all, conscious. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Confessions of a Successful Leader. You can access all previous episodes of the show at confessionsofasuccessfulleader.com. 
If you are interested in finding out more about conscious leadership and self-coaching, just type in Andrew Talents into LinkedIn or your favorite browser, and you'll find my contact details and all the content that you need. Until next time, don't forget to stay present, curious, and above all, conscious. Thank you for enjoying this content by Billionaires in Boxes. If you would like to be a guest or a host, be sure to get in contact with us at billionairesinboxes.com.